Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And Chuck brings us a returning guest this week. We like to have returning guests because inevitably we, we, we get like these little tidbits at the end or during a story or whatever. We're like, oh, you have to come back, back on and talk more about that. So I like when we're yeah. to, to get into some of those returning guests and, and some of that stuff. So who did you bring back to us, Chuck? So it's Gary uh, Ed- Edgington, if I yes, pronounced that correctly. I think I Perfectly. messed that up uh, one yeah. time. <laughs> well um, done. <laughs> So Gary, uh, he wrote Outside the Wire. Um, he yeah. spoke about his father last time, um, and, uh, and that was a, that was uh, actually a really just pretty tragic. Yeah, uh, I had mentioned that I spoke to my dad um, afterwards, and I talked about your book and having you on. And he had mentioned that he had learned, you know, that was a that was a cautionary tale that you know he had heard as yes. a young police officer yeah. as well. Yeah, he he was aware of the incident. It, itself so it was yeah. interesting for us to kind of go back and forth about that and i kind of filled them in on some of the stuff you told us about uh yeah. the, the 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 closure you get when you find out that dad did it right you know kind of a thing yeah yeah, yeah that was really that was just such an emotional moment there i mean we talked for like two hours that 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 uh, lady that uh was the eyeball witness then she was a young girl sure. and uh you know it was for all those like i told you i mean for all these years i've thought a completely i've first off i blame myself for buying him the bianchi breakfront holster but it turns mm. out it had nothing to do with it really right you know it was just one of those things that probably none of us would have survived that there might because he was be too other damn officers. close <laughs> there might be other officers that the bianchi breakfront was not great for yeah uh, but this is not that case I, you know i know a lot of guys um so uh there was the bianchi breakfront uh, and then there was the old we we've talked about a little bit the clamshell. Oh yeah, here. yeah. Safety speed, you know, and I yeah. think that was my that was my old man's first holster that was issued. Yeah, that and, was at LAPD. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, my dad had one. Yeah, there's in state police. There are huge collectors' items now, actually. But uh, yeah, I you know my dad gave me his clamshell, uh, and with the old uh, basket we murdered one. And oh, I wanted to keep this thing so bad, and then a fucking dog got to it. Oh, oh. poor Because they're worth shit. hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Hundreds oh, of dollars. Oh, my God. I saw it, and I was oh, like, you've got God. to fucking kidding me. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Well, first of all, because it was your dad's, and, like, you yeah. want to keep that, but. Yeah, I was trying to build a Sam Brown. Yeah. Not anymore. I actually, yeah. I actually have my dad's gear that he had on that day. Oh, wow. Um I have. Uh, I have a radio code book, a notebook, and and something else that was in his pocket. Um, uh, and of course, it's stained uh, rather heavily. And I have his watch that he was wearing that day, but it was really I remember. And I have a straight stick and um, and the Bianchi brake front uh, had had blood on it. You know, I mean, yeah. it was you know, but uh, yeah, that uh, I have my dad's sold- nightstick. And yeah. he still got his. So this is a funny thing. I don't know, Gary. You might remember this, um, Chuck. So there was a there was a time period when LAPD had stopped wearing the uh, chrome 
traditional yeah. Sam Brown buckle. Yeah. Yeah. You can even watch it on Adam 12, Adam 12 at one That's point. Right. That's right. That's well, right. To a Velcro system where the yeah. entire belt Velcroed around itself and then had internal hooks. So it was a completely buckleless belt, leather, right? Leather. Yeah. But it wrapped around itself and Velcroed and then hooked these little hooks. And the, you know, the good old fashioned chrome buckled belt was called the Sam Brown. And so my dad told me that all the guys on LAPD, uh, they, as far as a statement about how they thought the Velcro belt looked, they called it the Bruce Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. You know what's funny is it's that true. they actually they went back to the chrome. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like more of like a brushed nickel, I would say. I wouldn't really call it chrome. And then they went to um similar like history repeats itself. And I'm a big fan of this. History repeats itself. And anyone who says otherwise is a, oh, is an idiot. Is, um, and doomed to and doomed to relive it. Repeat yep. it. Yeah, exactly. And so they went to the uh the Velcro system again with um with basically it's still like a chrome Sam Brown, right? But right. it's this fake plastic BS, right? And it just basically Velcro's onto it. You don't even need keepers. You just kind of right. let huh. it sit there. And yeah, funny. So look them up. Back to there's yeah. there. This one was leather with Velcro. So you wore the under yeah. like you're talking about. And then the mm. belt just overlapped on itself and hooked on itself. There was no buckle whatsoever. All the I think I've seen those Safari Land that made it. Yeah, it was. It was Safari Land. Yeah, that's right. And it's you guys. Hideous. Do you guys remember about – I want to say this was right before we left in 2000 that the sheriff's department changed the um, uh, the buckle color and all that stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, when they went something from nickel to brass or brass yeah, to yeah, – Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was like, you know uh, – and, and, and you know what? And I – the other thing that I don't understand, and of course, you know, I come back, come from a completely different age, but who goes out and gets all those patches changed when you have the pink patch day or month? Uh, I mean, how do you do that? I mean, I mean well, it's a pain one. in the ass. So, yeah, you probably just have done. one shirt done. And I I think, so I was part of our department changing over its uniform. Uh, we hated, our, our patches looked like CHP patches, and we wanted to look less like chp in the patch department and right so we, we revitalized the shape and we revitalized the 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 color scheme and, and the you know the graphics on it and stuff like that and the city went in because the the police association voted on it and so the city agreed that if the police association paid for the first run of patches to convert our old uniforms over the city would cover the cost of the second half of the order to then have patches to give out when uniforms wore out. And so, so basically we calculated how many officers we had, how many uniforms we had, how many patches we would need to switch our old uniforms over. And then the police association paid for that. I think that some of that stuff, depending like the, the Susan G. Komen pink breast cancer, yeah. they yeah. I would be willing to bet that those are charity funded in some way, shape or form. I gosh, yeah, I would hope so. Or think so, because I mean, that's gotta be expensive. 10,000 well, man department. Yeah. Well, you know? I, I, I don't I think it's no, uh, more of like right? a it's an optional thing um, because I know LAPD when the Dodgers were in the uh, the, the race uh, for World Series, um, all LAPD officers were allowed to wear their hats. They didn't. It was not mandatory, but you could wear it. Now, 
LAP doesn't work patches, so there are no pink patches to be worn. Right, right. Um, but every time I would go to a uniform shop that served, um, you know, all the surrounding areas where it would be, you know, school PD, LAPD, uh, San Fernando PD, uh, Sheriff's Department, basically like all the, the you know, uh, Inglewood and, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Culver City PD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And places that would carry all those patches, they would all have those patches, but then they would have the pink ones there as well when it got closer to that that time of month because people would be coming in and they'd be buying new a new blouse um, and throwing those patches on real quick and having it nice and pressed and they just hang it up for the rest of the year. Yeah. So I, I think it's more of like a, like a, you know, do it if you want. Don't do it if you don't. Uh, some agencies are mandatory. Some agencies yeah. are not. It. Um, I, it cracks me up when they do like the pride patches and stuff like that. And I, I've never seen those. Yeah. Those real? I yeah. bet they are. They are. I've they seen are. River City, <laughs> River yeah. City PD, which is funny. Is it? Oh God, yeah, page. that's yeah that that mean page. But yeah, that's if anyone, yeah, if anyone's ever taken any post classes, um, for their agency. River City is the police department that they always use as a fictional police department yeah. as opposed to um, fake cops. <laughs> yeah. Um, so real quick, and, and since we're mm-hmm. on June and, and we're just in talking about this right now, I thought I would uh, tell a quick story that's not mine. It's a friend of mine. Um, he, he, he worked for the LA County Sheriff's Department as a reserve deputy while he was getting on with the Secret Service. And he got asked and agreed to work an overtime gig. Well, it was not overtime for him as a reserve, but he got asked to work a gig and he was going to work the Rose Parade. And LA County Sheriff, you know, staffs a lot of the Rose Parade. Well, LA County Sheriff also uh, is a contract agency. They are, they provide the law enforcement services to contract cities in Los Angeles County, like the city of West Hollywood. And the city of West Hollywood, if you don't know, the Los Angeles demographic is predominantly gay. I mean, it's like 95% gay community that lives in the city of West Hollywood. And I have a story about that, but go ahead. So they have their own city. They have their own city council. They have their own logos, all that stuff. And they, for, you know, no pun intended, take pride in their demographic. Well, Every, every sheriff's station, including West Hollywood, provided cars for this uh, Rose Bowl event. And my buddy was shows up in his uniform, whatever. And he, you know, he's they're like, yeah, just grab a car and go ten eight and drive around the, the parade route. You know, the day before the Rose Parade, make sure nobody's doing anything stupid. But he's driving around, and everywhere he goes, he he would get these these male couples that would like wave at him, hi, hi. <laughs> what is happening? And it was specifically gay couples that were like waving at him and gay men uh, waving uh, him, hi, deputy. And he's waving like, hi. <laughs> he had grabbed a West Hollywood division <laughs> white and it has a rainbow flag rainbow. Seal yeah. of the city of West Hollywood on the back doors. And so he, unbeknownst to him, was driving a pride, you know, pride flag police car. And oh, I love it. Just completely unaware, and that so so he got back and he gets out of the car and he's like, all these all these gay couples are waving at me, and they're like, yeah, look at your car, and he went, oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a, when I was a special agent with DOJ, I picked up a unsolved homicide. It started in Alhambra, and basically, I'll I'll do a really fast story on it. So 
So basically, they're serving a search warrant on a suspect who was involved with uh, unlawful sex with a minor okay. over a long period of time. And he greets the detectives at the at the the gate and says, "Hey, I know why you're here." So they he he takes him into the house into a file cabinet, and there in the file cabinet is one of those big glass jars that your wife keeps olive oil and pasta in. You know, one of those big yeah, like, yeah. show things, yeah. right? Instead, in this particular one, it had a a full set of male genitalia that had been Whoa. that had been removed from a victim. So fast forward, a lot of people tried to put it together. I picked it up. DOJ took it over as an unsolved homicide, and um, the guy that was working on it retired, and so I took it over and did some more investigation on it. And one of the things I did as part of that investigation was the suspect in this um, was uh, somebody who wrote gothic stories about the castration of young males, which, of course, the victim happened to be a young Caucasian male. So um, – I go to West Hollywood, and he apparently used to sell these stories. So I go to a West Hollywood bookstore on Santa Monica Boulevard that's no longer there. Identify myself, Sam, working on unsolved homicide involving castration of the victim, and I'm told that you may have books on castration. Now, if you walk into Barnes & Noble and ask them for books on castration or pretty much any other local bookstore, they'll say, uh, uh, right? Well, in West Hollywood, they took me to the counter where the books were supposed to be, but they were sold out. Of course. Yeah. What? Holy shit, yes. <laughs> Your suspect has got a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, they were sold out. And so he directed me across the street to the leather shop that sold all kinds of leather stuff and spiky things that go on places that were never intended to have spiky things go on them. And these spikes were chiseled steel with needle-fine points that, I mean, if you look at them wrong, they'd cut you. They're that sharp. It was like – it was – so it was so bizarre. Yeah. So 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 a, bizarre. It's a wild, old, strange world out there, full of yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So it's like a BDSM yeah. shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's what like it was. That's exactly stuff. Exactly. And both the, the, that one is actually gone now as well. But yeah, that's and I wore Beverly Hills, and of course, you know, when I worked at Beverly Hills as a police officer, we used to, you know, drive through West Hollywood on on Friday and Saturday nights sometimes on on slow nights or during the week. And, you know, sometimes it was a bit of a show, but um, that was pretty bizarre. That was like I literally it was like I just asked for a cookbook written by Martha Stewart. It was didn't Didn't break stride, didn't phase him at all. And I was like, holy shit. Um, Well, no. When I got promoted and or uh, when I got promoted, um, uh, somebody else took it over, and they did identify a possible witness, but unfortunately, the witness was so fried because they were a career alcoholic, they would not have been very credible. It would have been a witness to um, uh, this type of activity going on at this person's uh, residence. And uh, I mean, it's a it's a twisted story. It goes, it's it's so the tallywhacker hijacker got away. Yeah, well, we, yeah, exactly. We used to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I ended up because I identified the jars coming from England, so I contacted the police in England, and they said we don't have anything like this. And um, they were two in Viacap. There were two castration murders, and both were committed with the same weapon. And the the wound pattern was identical to the wound pattern exhibited by this particular specimen. So 
Um, so I talked to, to the Brits. The Brits said, no, we don't have anything like this, but um, uh, call the Germans because they're kind of weird. And so I called the Germans and the Germans said, no, we don't have anything like this. This is really too weird. Call the Dutch. <laughs> you know what? Oh, my gosh. I wonder, honestly, and this is, this is not, I'm not even being funny. Um, this would have been long ago enough that I would be willing to bet that there is a genuine chance there was no body because you were working it as a homicide because it's, you know, full set of male genitalia in a jar. Exactly. But I would be willing to bet that this, especially considering where you were at, that there is a genuine chance that somebody went down and got altered, medically altered, gender transition surgery back before it was a common thing. And maybe somebody went to Mexico and had it done off the books and got to keep their old gear in a jar as a souvenir from having the surgery done. I would, I would not. Now, I know nowadays they turn it inside out and all that other stuff, and there's nothing to keep. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if back in the day somebody had just done that to themselves or had that done to themselves and kept it as a souvenir. Wouldn't surprise me. I think it's plausible. Like, if we're doing yeah. Mythbusters, yeah. Yeah. I would stamp that that bitch plausible. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. We, we should not reenact no. this. So, no, no, no reenactments on this one. No reenactment, definitely. That's so, uh, we talked yeah. about your time. Um, yeah. You 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 worked with the Joint Terrorism Task Force, got mm-hmm. Samantha terror stuff, and that ultimately led you to Iraq. So right. I wanted to, if we can, um, let's go back and talk mm-hmm. about how you get from California DOJ to working with the Joint Terrorism Task Force, and, mm-hmm. and this is all pre nine eleven stuff. Correct. So, Correct. You know, it, it, Act- I I thought it'd be you know interesting to get into what right what terrorism stuff was like and what you know the police work of terrorism was like pre and post 9-11 because i'll right. i'll tell you um you know my my, my old man worked mm-hmm. terrorism and i called him the morning of 9-11 i called him as after i watched the, the, the before even the first before the second tower uh, got hit but after the first i said dad turn on the news they somebody flew a 747 into one of the world trade center buildings and without missing, I had woken him up because it was that it was, you know, six o'clock in the morning or whatever. And I had woken him up and I said, hey, dad, turn, wake up and turn on the news. Somebody just flew a, you know, jumbo jet into the World Trade Center. And without missing a beat, he said, wow, they finally did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And because they were after those buildings from before. Well, and it, it, he knew that like like flying a plane into a building was right a, a scenario that had been talked about in terrorism circles. You know, and, you and know. in a Tom Clancy book called and Dead in of a Honor. Tom Clancy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tom. Right? Dead. I'm, I'm really interested to see what you guys dealt with in the terrorism task force pre 9-11 yeah. and what and changed and what altered post 9-11. Because yeah. I've talked to a bunch of coppers who were on the you know terrorist task force for you know Los Angeles and things like that. And uh-huh. what they were dealing with prior was completely changed almost overnight after right. that happened or in the in the months and years to come right. yeah well basically I, I i had been my my interest in terrorism started back in the 80s and uh, actually wrote a thesis about terrorism uh and its potential effect in beverly hills uh for a degree and so I was, uh, well, yeah in beverly hills uh uh because uh beverly hills is one of those high profile places right um, and, uh, it is a center of, uh, there's some banking, some industry, but 
I mean, and, and while I was at Beverly Hills uh, and Beverly Hills adjacent, there were at least two terrorist attacks while I was there and plenty of threats. Okay. And this was back in the 80s. Um, we had a bombing at the Turkish consulate on mm-hmm. Wilshire Boulevard. We had the assassination of the Turkish consulate on on Wilshire Boulevard just outside of wow. Beverly Hills. So, I mean, this is entirely possible. We also had the Beverly Center, um, which is adjacent to Beverly Hills, which – you know, if you've been to the Beverly Center and you know anything about terrorism, you go, holy shit, what were they thinking on this one? Because the whole mall is built on top of the parking structure, um, which, you know, it's not so great, you know, right. and it's uncontrolled. Right. So anyway, so basically I um, was interested in it for quite a long time. I was working at Department, Department of Justice. I was working on the intelligence squad, organized crime intelligence squad. And uh, a position opened in 1999 on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. I'd already been working with the FBI on government corruption cases and things like that. So I already had my clearances and everything. So I put in my my. Everybody knew that I was interested in it, so it wasn't a hard fight to to get over there. And got over there, and I was assigned to a domestic terrorism squad. And um, it was the FBI of what people used to describe back in the day, what your father would have described working with the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a, a local, you were pretty much uh, sort of a backwater peasant, uh, and you really weren't. Domestic terrorism squads were a little bit different because – but uh, the international squads didn't talk to anybody, didn't do anything. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Didn't talk to anybody and didn't really share unless they right. absolutely had to. And um, – and they were it was the most dysfunctional i've been a detective almost my entire career and i have never seen a detective bureau an investigative bureau more dysfunctional than i when i went to the joint terrorism task force because agents uh because of a thing called um the wall which separated intelligence from criminal investigations right um that was created by a clinton administration attorney by the name of Janie, jamie gerlich um Detect the investigators working at the uh, special agents working at the same in the same cubicle sharing the same computer couldn't really talk to each other about these cases. And we all know as experienced investigators that nobody puts a case together by themselves. It's all about networking. It's all about sharing information and, um, you know, talking about cases at lunch or over coffee or whatever. You go, oh, yeah, I know that asshole. I worked him 10 years ago or five years ago. And, you know, asking cops if they have any cases where male genitalia has been cut off. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And and the Bureau has a great system for that. It's called VICAP, or at least it used to be called VICAP. And um, so they're no strangers to information sharing. But when it came to this, they were they they weren't so great. And that was the, the big takeaway. And I worked on a domestic terrorism squad. And um, while I was there, there was a lot of focus on on um, like uh, hate crimes and uh, on. Um, well, there was one case that involved uh, actually LAPD. I, uh, the LAPD guys on the on the task force did the case, along with the bureau guys, um, that involved um, religious uh, motivated hate uh, and things like that. And uh, after nine eleven, um, I was working internal affairs, and then um, I uh, went back out there as a liaison for the Department of Justice. 
uh, and then uh, was uh, tapped to run the task force. And so for about almost a year, the FBI was still kind of running in the same way. The, the information sharing was a little bit better, but it was still not good. It was not function like it should have. I can remember we developed in a source of information that was very credible um, that was telling us that there was recruitment going on in the prisons. Um, you know, Islamist right. uh, clerics recruiting individuals. Um, and so we wrote that up and I brought that to the to the task force leadership and they looked at me like I had three heads and two tails. Like, why would they do that? That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, this is in the Al-Qaeda manual. Uh, what are you talking right. about? You know, right. uh, and it only makes sense. These people all potentially can have U.S. passports. They can travel through the country easily. They understand American culture much easier than a Saudi student, you know. Um, so uh, – and then one day, um, the assistant director in charge um, uh, probably heard enough about what was going on and fired a bunch of people in literally one night and brought in supervisors, supervisory special agents that had worked with locals on task forces. And the atmosphere changed overnight. It was – Marvelous. It was fantastic. Uh, it really was. It really was. I mean, we all, we started going to training together. We all worked together. You could not tell the difference. And I had, I had an intelligence analyst and, um, three agents or four agents working inside the task force. And it was the same thing throughout California with the other task forces. We had agents embedded and, um, you couldn't tell the difference between, uh, the FBI agents and the locals. It was, it was, it was, you know, I mean, it was really a seamless yeah, yeah. transition and it was a very collegiate yeah. atmosphere and it was very productive. And, um, because we all know that the locals bring a lot of, a lot to the table. Um, you know, it, local experience, local knowledge. You have a young, young FBI agent who's fresh out of Quantico and really doesn't know anything except for what the bureau taught them at the right. academy. And now they're, now they're in Los Angeles and they don't know LA and they don't know where to go and they don't know how to talk to people really yet. Um, dress. Oh, oh, well, or dress. <laughs> there is that. Um, and all of these different things. And, um, but with local, with local assistance, um, you know, New agents were paired up with with experienced detectives and things like that, so it worked out much better for everybody. And it was a much, much, much better atmosphere. I had great friends over there with the bureau, and um, it was really a great uh, a great experience. When that happened, it was like it was like a light switch flipped on, and it really was a leadership. huge change. Yeah, I, I, exactly. It was a change in leadership, and that's all it took was a change in leadership, and. Um, the one thing, though, I have to say, and I have no idea how it is now, um, but the one thing that I, you know, as you know, having worked on a joint, on a, um, a, a DOJ task force, DOJ has a very strong intelligence analysis component. Uh, we've got LA Clear with dozens of intelligence analysts, right. uh, and we've got all these other nodes throughout the state with intelligence analysts, and in narcotics cases, in intelligence cases, in counterterrorism cases, it's all about the analysis. Because you have all of these tidbits of information coming in from a million different places, from FISAs, from, from sources, from, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, wiretaps and everything else. And if nobody is there to put it all together, the, the, the agent sitting there with a stack of, of 
of uh, you know information from all of these different intercepts and everything else. How are they going to put it? How are they going to go through phone tolls? You know, mm-hmm. and we had um, we had one intelligence analyst um, uh, at the task force that was uh, a, a native Farsi speaker, and the FBI had um, two or three others for the entol- for the whole Joint Terrorism Task Force. Right. And, um, and that's not enough to service. We had on my, on my task force, I had nine or 12 investigators and I had three analysts, you know, and, and, and they were busy all the time. And so, yeah. And so that is something that is really, um, that I hope and pray is it has improved dramatically because, um, I used to say that, and I'm not the first one who said it, the next 9-11 is sitting on an agent's desk. Oh, yeah. Um, the evidence are, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. And especially now with, um, all the, uh, uh, the dreadful decisions that were made in Afghanistan with the abrupt withdrawal and basically ceding the country back to the Taliban, what do you think is going to happen? You know, this is going to turn into a terrorist state again. Um, you know, uh, ISIL or ISIS, however, whoever pronounces whatever it is, those, those jerks are going to become emboldened again. And you're going to start to see, you know, as things move on, you're going to start to see terrorism pop its ugly head again in all sorts of places because mm-hmm. that's what these guys, these guys understand force. They understand resolve. If you don't have force and you don't have resolve, they will kick the living shit out of you every opportunity they can. Right. They're, and, fight, they're still fighting the Crusades. They're fighting a fifth century. Absolutely. They're, exactly. That is exactly yeah. correct. This is a war that has been going on since 600 AD. Right. People don't realize yeah. that a Muslim army almost conquered France and did conquer Spain and occupied it for 600 years or 500 years. And a Muslim army almost conquered Vienna. In, yeah. in, uh, wow. in 1630 something. People don't realize that, wow. you know? You know uh, said about history and. Exactly. Repeat. Exactly. That's very, very true. And, um, you know, this is unfortunately the Islamists are, they have long memories and, uh, they, um, they, they have long grudges, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, yeah. and, and, and they, uh, they're not going away. You know, they're not going away until it becomes so nasty for them that they decide to play other games. And, you know, they either get what they want or they get subdued into not even trying to get what they want because they know it's it's going to turn out bad for them. But there is no like, hey, you can't have what you want, but we're going to coexist peacefully. That doesn't exist. Right. Well, Israel, Israel is only exists because Israel is not afraid to. Um, take care of business when it's appropriate and they do it ruthlessly and they do it, uh, efficiently and with resolve. And, right. um, and that's the only reason why Israel still exists. If Israel had been, you know, well, I don't know, you know, you're just sort of misunderstood. They would have been run right over and there would right. be no state of Israel. Well, and there's a reason why the Israeli people, you know, feel like, um, the entire world is out to kill them. Yes, they are. 
Because <laughs> they are. Historically, you know? that's kind of been the case. Exactly. I mean, it yeah. goes back since for, for yeah, a long damn time. Yeah, you exactly. Back to Canaanites. You could, exactly. You're have to go back to David and Goliath. You're going to have to go back to a lot of other things. As And it, as you guys know, you know, sort of the... I don't want to say the motto, but certainly the, 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 the ideal that is in the back of every Israeli's mind is never again. Right. And right. that is what is, is motivating for them. They're not going to tolerate it. Never again. They're not going to allow their people to be murdered like what happened in World War II. Uh, it's not going to happen. They will, they'll go down fighting. Right. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> You worked uh, on the Joint Terrorism Task Force for a very long time. What was one of the most crazy, incredible things that you guys ever had to deal with and work with? <laughs> okay. If you could pick one. Well, okay. I- I'm going to tell you a couple things because I have to be careful because all that stuff is all classified and all that stuff. Right. But, but I'll tell you. Okay. Remember the year after 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, July 4th, 2002. Uh, individual goes up to the LA count, LL counter at LAX, pulls out his Glock and has like, you know, multiple magazines on his body and a knife and all kinds of shit right. and opens up and the LL security guy pops him, gets on a plane, gets back to Israel. <laughs> okay. This is the thing that is so bizarre about, about working in that federal environment. It took them months and months and months and months to call that an act of terror when everybody who knew what uh, anything about this guy, which we knew within hours, we had, you know, uh, we had the license plate and we did a full background on him. We knew what he was doing, what he was about and everything else. And it was like, a, you know, my friggin' dog would have figured out what he was up to and what he was doing, you know, and it was, of course, it was Islamist based terror. There's no question about it. But it took all that time for somebody to, to to actually say, "Oh yeah, it was an act of terror." Well, no shit. It's like Nadal Hassan. They called that a pl- act of workplace violence. Well, Major Nadal Hassan was an Islamist, yes, and he was in communication with Islamists, right. and that's what motivated him to kill people. Right. You know, at Fort at, at Fort Hood, that was what it was. It wasn't mm-hmm. workplace violence. He wasn't pissed off that he didn't get a lo- go to lunch that day. You know, and um, and so there were things like that. There were frustrations like that. And then there were incidents. We had a case involving an individual um, that was uh, a state employee, and uh, he was in a kind of sensitive sort of position in a way. And I have to kind of talk, dance around the facts here a little bit, so bear with me. And um, uh, we had an informant that, that said that this individual had bought – um, a ton, and I mean literally probably a ton, it was way more than he'd ever bought before, of a sensitive chemical that's used in the making of explosives. Sure. And he had never done that before. Most ever, likely ever, a ever. Farm, farm chemical of some kind. Well, could be. Right. <laughs> and he paid for it on credit, which he'd never done before either. Okay. So bells and whistles went off and, uh, you know, uh, Brought this, uh, brought this investigation that we were supposed to work jointly, um, with the Bureau since we developed the information and, uh, we wanted to make sure that, uh, the Bureau had the information and everything was going to be handled correctly. And we, we came up with a, a, a mutually agreed to strategy on how to handle it. And, um, 
the agent that was assigned to the case called instead of go, waiting for a DOJ agent and going to actually do a face-to-face interview. I think I see on your face, you know where this is going, calls the wife and says, hey, what's the deal? And I'm from the FBI and you're not. And she gets on the phone and calls, you know, uh, Johnny, no middle name, wow. Mohammed. Mm-hmm. And what do you think happens? He calls the agent and the agent conducts a telephonic interview and says, oh, there's nothing here. Right. Oh, wow. The agent said, I almost- you bought all this stuff. And for what did you buy it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll be here all week. <laughs> that was very good. I've never heard that one. That's very good. I, that's good. I, I may put that, you know what? I'm going to give you credit, but I'm going to put that in the next book. <laughs> you know, it, so it's interesting. I, it, real quick to tag up. You should go back and I'll, maybe I'll send you a link. But we had a very, very early episode with um, our former co-host's dad. Um, who post 9-11 was sent to do on a surveillance team and was not told what until the very end or, or as they got yeah. there, basically they were wa- watching um, because they had credible intel that there was a suitcase nuke in Las Vegas that was, that was being transported from LA to Las Vegas. And at one point he's on top of the, the parking <clears throat> structure, looking down the binos, seeing a guy mess with the suitcase on the, passenger seat of the car and that's their primary and he literally was like okay so he called his wife to say goodbye like he was like this is where like i'm i there's no way i'm getting away from a nuke a suitcase nuke you know at this point and uh it's funny because well that's not the funny part what's interesting is when you re-listen to the rest of the episode it wasn't a suitcase nuke right or at least if it was he didn't detonate it at that point However, the follow-up done by the FBI at that point, and again, this is—he said this was months after 9/11, was very much like what you were saying. And he—he he couldn't figure it out. He's like, "We went over there. We're going to jam this dude up. We're going to pull him out. We're going to, you know." And the FBI's like, "No, we talked to him. Everything's fine." Exactly. Heard that one before. Yeah, no, no, no. Heard that we, one before. We went in. We chatted with him. We're good. We don't. You know. Yeah. Isn't that what happened with the ninth hijacker? Yeah, isn't think, that what happened? Yeah. Doesn't that exactly? Was, I, I don't happened. know if it was the ninth one, but I know yeah. at one point they were like, "Hey, what's going on?" Nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry no, about it. Uh, and and you know, I don't want this to you know, I don't want this to sound like this is FBI bashing session, even though they're taking it on the chin here lately, uh, pretty severely. For it. Um, um, let's back up. I, I'm sure Gary and I and I, I'm. Chuck as well. We know some great FBI agents. Absolutely. We know some FBI agents that are absolutely doing the Lord's work. I've worked with some top tier FBI guys. Just because individual agents can be great, awesome go getters doesn't mean they aren't completely freaking frustrated by the organization they work for. Just, I just want to put that out there. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Some of the biggest. Some of the biggest critics of the FBI I ever I ever encountered were FBI agents, right. and and there was no reason for it because the criticisms were 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 based in reality. I mean, this is an agency that lawyers the death out of everything, and you can't do law enforcement if you're going to lawyer every damn thing that's going to come along because by the time you're done lawyering something, the the the, the crime is over; it's been committed, or right. something else has happened. Right. And um, you know, I mean. 
And in the post 9-11 world, they had – of course, there was a huge expansion at FBI headquarters. So they had to bring – they put out a thing that said, uh, you know, I think if you had to have a year on or maybe it was two years. I don't know what it was. But anyway, they were doing shake and bake um, promotions of young agents to headquarters, and they would be sitting in desks that were controlling field investigations, substantive desks. Uh, you know, telling agents that had 10, 15 years on the job and JTTF task force officers how to run their investigations. Right. And some of them had, had only been agents for just a couple of years. They didn't know anything. Right. And that's crazy. That is a recipe for disaster. Well, and fortunately, you know, that's throughout most of law enforcement. Well, it is now. It's in, big, is. in big agencies, I've seen yeah. it. In big agencies. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's true. It's a sad thing. So on your on your caper where they interviewed him and and did the right. telephonic, how did that all shake out? They interviewed uh, him telephonically, no further, nothing to see here. That's it, no Inactive. further, nothing to see here. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many? Uh, without giving any details, but um, like getting into it, if it's classified or anything like that. But um, how many times have you seen something? unfold on tv and you're like that's fucking terrorism we know it's terrorism we have the info on it but it never comes out as it was a terrorist attack well um there are things i that that i find incredibly suspicious uh that of course i'm talking out my ass because i have no access to the actual nitty-gritty um uh, you know, case files, interviews, intra, uh, you know, intelligence and all of that stuff. No, but, but the bullshit meter goes off. But I, I got to say that Mandalay Bay shooting in Vegas bugs the shit out of me. Yeah. That just really bugs me. There are just too many things about that that troubled me. Um, you know, uh, the Filipino wife or girlfriend, whatever the hell she was, going back to the Philippines right before this happens – um, I mean, there's just a lot of things, and it may be me. And, and like I said, I'm talking out on my ass. I have no idea, no access to any of that stuff. Been out of it for a long time, but to me, how come we still don't know? How many years later, six, seven years later, we still don't know anything about that case? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's really that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Even 2020 hasn't done anything about it, you know. And yeah, right. and you know something else too. And this is not terrorism related. How come the manifesto from from uh, was it Nashville, the yeah. the the shooter in Nashville? Mm-hmm. How come that mm-hmm. hasn't come out? We always see other manifestos. I mean, they put they yeah. they're always out all the time. They come out like within yeah. five minutes. They're out. I've read the Unabomber's <laughs> manifesto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and how come this one hasn't come out? That's weird. Why is that? Well, you no, know? I mean, we all know the answer is it doesn't. I think the narrative. I think that's probably yeah. true. Right. I think that is probably true. Let me it tag up good. and and ask you this then, because I want to get a little bit more mm-hmm. of what you're saying, but I wanted to, before I forget, do you f- see, or is there a frustration with, or, do, or does it happen often enough where you see um, things that are nothings, right? Like it was going to be something. And then it's kind of like, because it was thwarted because nothing mm-hmm. happened because, you know, boots on the ground are out there doing the Lord's work and somebody gets taken into custody and then they bury it. And, and you guys, I mean, how many times do you not get to stat the win? Right. Oh, 
Oh, completely. Right. And, and, oh, that happens all the time. And a lot of times it isn't even taking somebody in custody. It's just a traffic stop scares them off or right. they see something. Uh, I mean, that is a, that is an, I mean, we are, you know, we are so damn lucky. The reason why we did not suffer another catastrophic attack post 9-11 has a lot to do with luck and a few, uh, uh, a few missed uh, opportunities by the opposition where they, they fuck things up like that asshole that, that tried to set off the bomb in Times Square and right. got it wrong. And thank God that didn't go off. That would have killed guy. Him. Yeah. yeah. The shoe bomber guy. Um, but I mean, um, you know, people that whose opinions I respect who know a great deal about about a lot of this stuff in the in the weeds far more than I do have mentioned that um, the position of the bomb on TWA 800 was similar in and potentially um, also uh, the size of the what they theorized to be the size of the bomb is similar to the Ramsey Yusuf. Uh, airplane bomb that he was planning to use to knock down planes out of the sky. He did one, he did, he did one, um, dry run that killed the Japanese, uh, passenger. Uh, and it was a bomb that was hidden under the seat in a toy or something like that, as I recall. It's been a long time since I've read about it, right. but it was all, it was under the wo- ring woot, <laughs> the wing root where apparently a lot of fuel lines and electronics are located so you know which makes sense if you're gonna if you're gonna plant a bomb you know you want to do it over where the fuel is where the electronics is and that you know as opposed to up forward you know where there's maybe just luggage under the under the passenger compartment so yeah i mean i think i think there are probably um i think information is managed sometimes uh for political expediency and also for uh, protecting the, the one's the turf. I don't know. Um, but I always thought that was kind of odd and suspicious. And these people that I, that I know have said that, that, uh, you know, they know a little bit about airplanes and they had, you know, mentioned that, uh, that it was kind of odd. Um, I think, I think we probably have had a lot of near misses, but I also think we set them on their heels, uh, when we came after them in their, on their home turf. And uh, killed them by the truckload. I think right. that really, I think that set them on their heels because they had been so used to tepid responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Cobar, uh, Cobar Towers, and all of the uh, kidnappings in in Beirut, and the murder of uh, William Buckley in Beirut, and uh, the CIA chief of station, and of course the coal. And uh, Dar es Salaam embassy. We put up a lot of with a lot of shit before we finally said, you know what? Absolutely. Like I, they tried for the World Trade Center. All like Ramsey always tried to take exactly. it take it out. That was That's that right. you know, like, and that was a close call. And that was a very mm-hmm. close call. Like this is a- not. This isn't. I okay. So I'm on the opposite side. Maybe Gary, you can speak to this as far as a, a, an informed man's opinion, but. If it were up to me, if I were the ruler of the world, if I were the king of law enforcement, my my thought would be to err on the side of tell them every time. Hey, this right. this attack right here, this was an attack. Hey, this right. one right here, they right. were trying to kill you. Hey, this one right here, also trying to kill you. Hey, this one right here, trying to kill you again. Hey, this one right here, 
We stopped right. from killing a bunch. Of, like I would, I would people. I think they, you know, the 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 whole we sleep safe in our beds because rough men stand ready to do violence against mm-hmm. do violence against us, right? Well, you know, how many people have read that quote? But sleeping safe in your bed is not the same as sleeping safe in your bed and then waking up the next morning with that rough man saying, hey, this is what I just stopped from happening last night. Right. Right. You need to be, you need to Absolutely. understand that, that you didn't sleep the sleep of the innocent because no one tried to kill you. You right. slept the sleep of the innocent because someone tried to kill you and we killed them first. Well, remember, there were two very famous terrorist incidents, the attack on the coal that occurred right before presidential election and Mm -hmm. the attack on the Benghazi annex that occurred right before presidential election. And both of them were downplayed as related terrorists, especially Benghazi. And it was it was it was it was a uh, 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 a demonstration that just got out of hand. Bullshit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know? Well, that's about uh, as believable as Antifa yeah. mostly peaceful protests. Oh yeah. yeah, and that's a that's another one. That's that and they're they're as big a terrorist organization as anything that's in this country for Oh, they sure. operate with Ooh, sure. that same, you know, celled up like it, like, oh well there's no official Antifa. Yeah, right. There isn't. Because that's how terrorist organizations work. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I go all the I'm sure Gary, you go all the way back to the days of Black Block, and of course, and and what they did in uh, I think it was Seattle, wasn't it with the yeah. G uh, yeah. or which one? But they yeah, they, absolutely. They attacked Seattle and they used shut the city down. Shut the city down. It was in Black Block. For those of you who don't know, I mean, they I would honestly call them the father of and modern day Antifa. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. They use a lot of the same te- – both of them use a lot of the same techniques uh, same te- that mm-hmm. ALF and ELF use. Yep. They are – they have um, highly compartmentalized uh, organization. Right. Uh, you can knock off one node, but you're not going to have the whole node. They're very, very – secretive. These are very intelligent people, and they're very resourceful, and you know, they use – uh, you know, very simple rudimentary forms of communication so they can't be intercepted. Um, you know, this is, this is, and, and I'm sure it's probably the same. I don't know anything about how Antifa really operates, but, you know, I know that they're responsible for a hell of a lot of, of death and destruction, uh, right. in Los Angeles and all over the country, uh, billions of dollars in, in property damage. Um, so yeah, I, you know, and and you know, I can't speak to it now, but I know that when we, when I was working counterterrorism uh, on the task force in Los Angeles, um, we had active investigations going on uh, groups uh, located in California. Uh, I'm sure your knows all about these groups um, that were closely tied to Pakistan and and um, the Emirates and all of that. And they had training camps in California. They have training camps in secluded areas all over the United States right. in little mon pa towns where, you know, maybe you have four deputies, uh, and one police car between them. And, uh, they have a, a, a training facility out there. Yeah. As far as I know, those, those, and they, and they specifically target, um, American citizens, uh, for recruitment that, um, are disgruntled or feel yeah, they're disgruntled. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't, Disaffected. Yeah, don't think that these training camps in on U.S. soil are just sovereign citizens or oh, no. Nazis or militia groups. No, yeah. it's you. You know, Dan Crenshaw. Uh, regardless of what you think of him politically, one of the things that he said when he was interviewed about his stance about war is, "Hey, we fight over there, so we don't have to fight over here." Exactly, right? and that's that has been the the argument that that I have used. Many times, and of course, the long the, the longer uh, the time span is between uh, you know what precipitated the event and and now, the weaker the uh, memories get. And I knew when mm-hmm. I went into this thing, uh, you know, it, in two thousand one, that this is California, and after a while, sure in hell, the, I'm going to have to start fighting like tooth and nail. Uh, to protect the task forces and protect the positions. And sure enough, starting in about 2006, um, I had to do that. And I think it was Jerry Brown was elected then. And I had to do all kinds of, yeah, yeah, good old moonbeam. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we had to, I had to fight and, and, to all kinds of, of, of defensive papers and things like that to justify the existence of the task force. And, uh, because, uh, this, this individual, uh, Jerry Brown was quoted as saying, as far as I was told, well, they, we have the FBI, um, they can handle it. Well, uh, uh, not so much. Uh, and, um, you remember, do you remember the, uh, the shooting? Um, there was an t- absolute terrorist attack in, uh, Riverside. Yes. Um, yeah. The luncheon the, with the yeah. uh, male and female mm-hmm. they had bombs. They had machine guns. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Okay. Yep. What year was this? Oh, uh, it's the same. Uh, same. I, we actually interviewed a guy for this show before is before you, Chuck. Um, we actually interviewed one of the guys who responded to that uh, incident. And it was Sam, Sam Riverside, San Bernardino, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, you, you might be, it might've been San Bernardino. Yeah. Riverside, it, Riverside County or San Bernardino County, well, or, or it, but uh, it was a husband and wife team yep. went into a work Christmas party luncheon mm-hmm. and just started shooting the place, shooting everybody in sight. And then they went out and this uh, wasn't this the, the was it a, a was like a, a the, they had a bear cat and then they 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 got the dude out on the street and he was in the Tahoe and they used a, a, a loader to approach him and and take him out and the wife was in the car shooting at him and I mean mm-hmm. it, was, it was a legit like oh yeah it was a no shit deal movie moment and I cannot I'm oh, trying to remember yeah. the, the guy. and 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 they had they had uh, improvised explosive devices yeah. that they were you know little half-assed hand grenades. That they were, that they were, I think they deployed at least one of them. Uh, and they had oh, more wow. in the car. I mean, and the, I, I think this was 2018, 2015, 2015. Yeah. 2015, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I won't even say their freaking names, but it was at the, uh, Inyo Regional Center. And, uh, basically they killed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 people. 14, 14 civilians, sorry, ranging from 26 to 60, uh, yeah. residents of San Bernardino County from, uh, and five from Riverside and Orange County and stuff like that. So, and I believe they were either Paki or Bangladeshi, I think. Hmm. 
I think see. I remember hearing about that. Um, it was obviously on the job. But that yeah, was a very was, dangerous. Yeah, their 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 neighbor was like implicated in a sham marriage and right. To, That's to, another yeah whole other thing. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I I won't say their names, but I can. I'm looking at their names right now, and they were yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what's what's crazy is that I don't think a lot of citizens know that in the United States that there are major terrorist training camps. Right. actively going on in the US. Yeah. And I think uh I think one of the biggest ones or the most training camps I want to say if I remember correctly is in Miz- not Missouri but uh it's in uh Minnesota I think. Well that wouldn't surprise um, me because that's uh Somali, oh, Somali country. Somali country. Yeah. Yeah, that's Somali and country. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I was talking to a DA guy and I was like why don't they go in there and just like shut it down? They're like we can't. Yeah. This just blows my mind. Theoretically, still the United States of America. Yeah. Well, there is. There were. Um, that was yeah. that female. Cop that was a little shot. bit of selectivity, shall we say? Yes. In, in yes. my estimation, based on what I saw as as a a casual observer, it seemed like things were a tiny bit selective. Well, I mean, we're always selective, right? Like, they it's the 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 terrorism du jour it's the whatever we're whatever we're supposed to be mad at this week um right and it's funny is you can look at our you can look at our our um or you just look at our movies and tv shows and you'll see in the 80s we were supposed to be mad at the soviets so every you know every movie every bad guy had a big red star right in the 90s you know it was kind of Oh, now it's it's uh it's not the Soviets anymore. You know, it's the drug cartels. Drug cartels. That's right. And, and now, oh, now we're in the two thousands. Look, we could be mad at the Arabs again. We can be mad yeah. at, at you know, and and so you, if you go back and you look at um, what was it? Uh, it was a it was a James Bond movie, and it cracked me up because James Bond goes into a, an unnamed Arab country and works with the Mujahideen to take down international terrorist smuggling raw opium to fund their terrorism. That's going to harm the British government and the world stability. And in the film, he's working with the Mujahideen, which at the time we're like, Oh yeah, 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 of course nobody knew what the damn Mujahideen was. Right. Right. And they didn't realize that, Oh yeah, this is a group that produced people like Osama bin Laden. Exactly, and and do you uh, yeah? Are you familiar with the, the book uh, "Some of All Fears"? Tom oh, Clancy's yeah. book. Okay, oh, I've read all. His and then stuff. you saw the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the oh, yeah. book, they made some alterations there. <laughs> they made a tiny bit of an alteration there because the bad guys in in the movie are South African neo Nazis, right? And the bad guys in the book are the usual suspects. Right. They're on. You know, they're like, uh, you know, guys, we can't do that. That's not that's not cool right now. Well, yeah, exactly. look at uh, Red Dawn, the remake of Red Dawn. The original was the Soviets through Cubans. Soviets, Cubans, yeah. And the remake was an unnamed North Korean style country. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Oh, my God. Well, what do you so how, do? So when things after so post 9-11. Things got better. Everybody's working uh-huh. better with each yes. other. Um, you know, there's directives from on high. The president, yes. thou shalt play better in the sandbox with each other. Right, 
Right. And like you said, everybody kind of, it's fresh in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's self-fulfilling. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a circular re- argument, right? We are all playing together, therefore, and we need all these resources to fight terrorism. So we get all these resources to fight terrorism, like you were saying. And then within six years, you're writing papers because they're going, well, we don't need to fight terrorism. There hasn't any, there hasn't been any attacks. Yeah, no shit, dummy. Why do you think there hasn't been any attacks? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and, and, you know, of course, that's sort of the, the uh, dilemma that, you know, all intelligence agencies have to live with. And that is we can't publish our victories because they're, secret <laughs> so do you think that there have been many thwarted attacks but they were never spoken about because they were mm-hmm. thwarted before they stopped so the american people will never mm-hmm. hear about it well, i'm sure of it i'm not i've it no makes doubt of feel it. super yeah. safe yeah yeah and and like you said i i i wish i i wish that um you know the american people uh you know were we're brought back to the reality that we're about to face. We're probably going to start facing uh, Islamist-based terror once again because of the things that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I would be very happy to say I'm wrong uh, on this, but uh, to me, based on my study and what I know, and I'm certainly, you know, anybody who tells you they're an expert in terrorism is like blown smoke up your your skirts because it's such a vast vast subject that yeah i mean yeah i mean it's just it's so huge and it's just so many different players and they spit off and into other groups and blah 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 and um you know and one of the hardest things about it is to define who the terrorist is you have to know which perspective you're looking at the argument from right right that's exactly true to you know, there's the whole idea that, you know, the, the treason is determined by the victors. Mm-hmm. If you look at, um, just, just look at the troubles in the UK, right? <laughs> there are people that look at Sinn Féin and the IRA and they say that they're freedom fighters who are battling oppression. And then there are other people that say, no, they're fucking Irish terrorists. Right. And the bottom line is there's a lot of people dead and there's a lot of violence that was perpetrated, but whether it was necessary or not, or whether it was terrorism or not, depends on who you ask. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and certainly uh, there were a lot of Irish Americans, uh, especially in Boston and New York, that were uh, passing the hat around uh, through NORAID uh, to right. provide funding for them. Right. And, uh, you know, weapons from the United States, AR-180s and ammunition and all kinds of shit wound up over there. Uh, and of course the, the IRA and, uh, the provisional IRA, uh, got training and bomb building, um, uh, from, uh, you know, the, the Russians and, uh, their, um, you know, their, their lackeys. And, right. uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it is a uh, an alphabet soup, and of course that that terrorism was really more about the victory of Marxism and Leninism in the world and destabilizing NATO by you know damaging the United Kingdom right. than it was about uh, the freedom of of the Irish peoples. Mm-hmm. And you know my understanding is from people talking to it uh, that that a lot of these people who were bomb throwers and uh, intimidators and extortionists. Uh, with the IRA are now organized crime figures because 
they're criminals and they're assholes and that's what they are and that's what they do you right. know right and, well, uh, you know you look at uh, the the you look at the fall of soviet union and you look at you know right. the the nuclear weapons and the military materials that all just got black marketed mm-hmm. and now the oligarchs that are running the soviet union because they have money well they're thugs because That's right. when they were in the military they were thugs and now that they're not in the military they're thugs and right a thug's a thug right and and you know they were kgb officers right. and uh you know they were nkvd and they were they were assholes and now they're now they're capitalist assholes. <laughs> I, I would encourage people to look if, and if you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's, you know, obviously the Soviet Union that you know, I, just Google Barry Seal. Just yeah. do yourself a favor and Google Barry Seal. Okay. If you don't think that we have done our fair share of three card Monty dealing, it's true <laughs> in the international community. They tried to. The, I wish. I wish the movie had been good. I wish the movie. I watched the movie. Yeah. Cruise, and I wish it had been better. And I'll tell you off mic some stuff that I found out was in the script that had to get cut, which I think uh. you will enjoy. Um, but uh, if you want to know about the dirty shit that our government, up to and including the Clinton administration, the CIA, and the DEA were all involved in, just look up Barry Seal. Okay? Yeah. And you will you'll be like, oh wow, we really, we really do do that kind of stuff, yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. because of the you know uh, the national security considerations take precedence over right. the war on terror, uh, war on narcotics yeah. uh, considerations. It's and, Mel Brooks um, in in Blazing Saddles, uh, gentlemen. Affairs of state take precedence over <laughs> exactly. Affairs of state. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh. Uh, very good that's a good that's a very good quote i love that one that's a funny movie that's never could be made today that's I for damn sure well I, I man i love these conversations we are like really running out of time um right. so we're gonna have to have you back because i just this stuff is fascinating to me we talked about terrorism we didn't even get to iraq so yeah we'll have to come back and get to iraq uh gary so, thanks again for coming on hey my pleasure i really enjoy talking to you guys you're right it's it's uh great fun yeah, fun. In, 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 in some ways, these are all um, thought experiments because like Gary's sitting here talking to me and I know Gary's got a head full of information that he could never admit to. And uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example is, is a friend of mine was was thinking about joining military intelligence. He'd taken there's a super secret test. That's, I mean, it's, it's a super hard test if you want to get into military mm-hmm. intelligence. And it's, it has a lot to do with decryption and language and stuff like that. And so another friend of mine had joined the Marine Corps and they were drinking together. And he's like, yeah, I passed the military intelligence exam. I'm thinking I'm going to go into military intelligence, join the army, you know, join the Marines or whatever. And his buddy's drunk. He's a Marine. He's drunk and shit. And he's like, oh, man, if you do, that means someday if we're deployed together, I will be on the same base as you. And you, you like, like, you'll be my job. And he's like, oh, yeah, your job is to protect me. He goes. For the most part, (laughs) well, my job will be to protect you until I have to kill you. (laughs) He's like, what are you talking about? And he's drunk as shit. He's going, well, I mean, if the base were overrun and like you're 
capture is imminent and I'm live. <laughs> I might. He's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's funny because there's probably a grain of truth to that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I mean, you're like, yeah, the reality of it is, is hilarious until it's not, you know, right. it's right. Yeah, you can't let that info get out, you know? Well, yeah. but here's, I mean, that's, you know, you look at all the, 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 those cyanide pills in teeth were real, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the mission impossible. If you're caught or captured, you'd be dis. Why did, why the hell do you think our special ops tier one people get inserted in country without any patches on their uniforms? Like, mm-hmm. it's. And, and ammunition that is either, it has no marking on it. Right. Or has somebody else's marking that's, on it. Right. Exactly. You know, you know I mean, What's his name? Um, the guy who was shot down in the U two plane. He had a he had a, a a cyanide injector or some damn thing to commit suicide. I can't think of his name. Yeah, and didn't he? Wow. He, he got yeah. broken or he couldn't. Oh yeah, they, they or something. They, and they, yeah, yeah, they they tortured him. I'm sure. Yeah, it's you know, it's yeah. it's crazy. It's but you know, affairs of state. <laughs> right. Right. The president over affairs of state. <laughs> exactly. No, uh, Chuck, do you have this week's dedication? No, uh, Gary does. Oh, Gary, you have this week's dedication. Yeah, you have somebody you'd like to dedicate the episode to. Yeah, um, uh, I'd like to dedicate this episode to uh, once again to my father, Harold Edgington, uh, from the LA County Harbor Patrol, and also to my dear friend and partner, uh, retired LAPD sergeant who joined the Department of Justice, Steve Clark. Uh, he was my number two guy on the task force. He was an awesome man, a dear, dear friend. He passed away a few years ago. His daughter is on LAPD and, uh, he was just an awesome guy, really awesome, awesome guy. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that his daughter's carrying on the yeah work and hopefully she's safe down there and, and doing hopefully I hope she is and uh, rest easy, brother. We've got it from here. Uh, Chuck, what do you got for us? Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like today's podcast and the content we provide, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you subscribe to. Yeah, I want to I want to mention something about that is because we talk about this a lot, but it really does. When when you see recommended for you or you see, hey, new and and hot and what's trending, that's all because of reviews. That's all because people like subscribe, review, rate. So. When we say it helps us, it really does help us. You you click them stars and and write us a little review. So you know if you're if you're listening to us and you like the content we provide and you've never just gone and taken the thirty seconds to give us a give us a rating and, and give us a review, that would be awesome. Yeah, it helps bump us to the top, and that's where we want to be. Right. Um, and the podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms as well as on YouTube. Reviews and ratings are how podcast platforms decide what to recommend so your reviews really help i'm gonna drive that home it really helps yes us grow the show also please give us a follow on our instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our facebook at war stories podcast if you already follow us please like and share our posts if you click the link in our bio on instagram and facebook you'll be able to reach all of our social media sites and our website another way to support us is by visiting our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com grab some gear and some of our merch. We have uh, shirts, patches, stickers, movie hoodies. And if you think you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on the show, please email 
your info and a brief description of your story to us at booking.warstories at gmail.com so I can get you booked. We are always looking for veterans, law enforcement, firefighters, and medics, but also corrections, dispatchers, and nurses. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. Yes, sir. Good old Caliber Press. Stay safe. Stay safe. Yes, indeed. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.